Welcome to the Master Builders Podcast, the podcast where we discuss issues affecting the building industry. It's the podcast by Master Builders for Master Builders. I'm your host, Max Rafferty, and today I'm joined by a guest co-host, Mr. Jock Merrigan. Welcome to the show, Jock. G'day, Max. Thank you. Yep, happy to be here and looking forward to hearing the conversation and being part of it. Yes, yes, yes. Now, you're based in South Australia. How's your year been so far? Well, as probably everyone in Australia, it's been a very interesting year. It's been very busy with some initial COVID restrictions thrown into play early on, but fortunately we were not shut down as an industry but isolated in many a way, so learning to work out of the office and and manage people externally was a a quick learning curve but something that was really really rewarding in the outcome as far as we really managed to deliver our projects uh, without too many hiccups along the way. And have you found any of your standard repertoire of skills has been uh, more useful this year? Yeah I think what's what's been Somewhat forced upon us is to fall back on our business skills with the sense of really looking at our business plans, being confident in where we are in our business at the particular point in time. Well, I'm glad you brought up the issue of business skills because this episode is part of a series on the business of building where we talk with industry leaders about how they started and grew their businesses and the lessons they learned along the way. Now, 2020 has been a weird year that none of us will forget in a hurry. If you had to pick one business skill that has been critical for you this year, Jock, what would it be? It would definitely have to be cash flow awareness and communication. So in today's podcast, we're going to talk about all things associated with the business of building with Mr. Robert Shaw. Now, if you've been involved with Master Builders for any amount of time, the chances are you will have heard about Robert. Robert joined the National Board in 2015 and is the chair of the National Residential Builders Council. He is a former president of Master Builders Western Australia and a current member of its board of management. But importantly for today's discussion, Robert shares his 37 years of experience and knowledge in the building and construction industry that he has gained as the director of Dalian Shaw, which specialises in residential unit development and homes. So let's get to my interview with Robert. So for those people that don't know who you are, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, Robert Shaw, Director of Daly and Shaw Building. Uh, We've been building in the West, Daly and myself, for the last 36 years together. Um, And obviously we're going to run through how we built the business, but um, certainly today we employ uh, mainly subcontractors in our industry, uh, about 250 subcontractors, and uh, employ roughly around a dozen people. So, uh, yeah, unit developments and uh, multi-residential up to so sort of from four to 100. Sounds busy. How did you get started in the building industry? Uh, I guess when you're at school, those decisions and you sort of start leaning towards what you think uh, you'll be good at or more the case when you're young, what you think you like. Um, you certainly don't know whether you're going to be good at it. So at that stage, I was um, sort of attracted to the timber industry and woodwork, and I was reasonably good at it. So 
um, that's sort of where it started, I guess, and then uh, left school. I got an apprenticeship before I left school, so that was uh, my sort of entry. Did you have any family background in construction, Robert? No, strangely enough, did not. Um, Dad was a earth mover, earth mover contractor, so scrapers, bulldozers, as great as those, those type of things. So um, I guess that's related, but not really. He uh, never built anything, but he was uh, not handy with his hands. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about Daly and Shaw Building? Yeah, Daly and Shaw Building is a, it's a business that we grew, obviously, from the ground up um, with all the trial and errors that everyone goes through. So I think it's very important that um, this message and the conversation is that people understand that uh, they're not in it on their own and um, how you can give a few tips that you sort of don't go down those same paths. But uh, we just started out taking on small jobs and building our business and our reputation and organically growing it. That, that was the key. Um, but we really didn't know where we were going at that time. We just had the two of us and then we had three of us and then four of us. So in the early days, it was uh, all about work, not really a business plan or marketing or anything like that. We were pretty naive to that, but we certainly knew how to work. So one job after the other and just working your butt off? Yeah, to the point where I guess in those first uh, five, seven, eight, ten years when it got to a stage when people started saying, you know, you've got to change things and you've got to start, you know, you're, you're very active on site but you haven't got a base and we're sort of top heavy uh, with what's happening on site and we're doing everything at night with admin. So it was that point in time that we started looking to restructure and uh, start to um, take that advice. Always in WA? Yeah, although we have done some stuff in other states and territories due to clients that we had in WA, but generally they were fly-in, fly-outs, and we do that back in WA, but really haven't um, branched out to other states and territories. Now, I'd like to go back in time a little to when you first started your building business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess starting out, as I said in in the intro, that you, you really don't know where you're going. But I guess one of the... The things was that we were very disciplined with, um, you know, you got that temptation when you're growing a business and you get a cash flow to spend the money. We were pretty disciplined where we'd we'd get paid last um, getting started and make sure all our bills got paid. And then as we got going, then uh, even once we had money, we'd only take out a modest wage um, and then leave the rest in a bank account to make sure we were covered. And we carry, uh, we still carry that discipline through to today. So that put us in pretty good stead. So I guess, um, yeah, just don't be fooled by the cash flow and spend the money because it really uh, puts you at a disadvantage in the market. Now, one of the things I like to, well, matter of fact, one of the things I love to ask people who are doing okay is, did you make any mistakes? And if you did, can you tell us what they were? What I'm looking for is preferably something that really made you cringe? Um, mistakes. So there's, I guess, as you're growing a business, there's a be the mistake on site, which um, obviously the building industry is, uh, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying, but it's never the mistake that's the issue. It's, it's how you fix it. Um, some things just take a little bit more work than others. But in, in relation to, to the, so in relation to that on site, there's nothing that we've done a mistake that we haven't been able to fix. Some things are just a little bit more costly. So I think it's important to own those things as it happens. 
But in growing the business, oh, look, it's, a, it's just a learning curve. And, yeah, we certainly made mistakes. But that's all about, um, even today, but back then it was about people. Um, no matter what size you are, you need to have that connection with people, whether it's people you're working alongside during the day or whether it's clients. Um, yeah, we've had plenty of learnings with that, but the better you have that relationship with people, um, the better off you are. I feel like you didn't give me anything really embarrassing there, Robert. Um, I guess the most embarrassing thing is money. Uh, money is when you start out, you want to try and please everyone. So you tend to let those seven-day, 14-day, 28-day uh, accounts run longer than they should and that gets embarrassing then to try and pull it back and you get into a bad habit of carrying people's bad payment debt. So that is something that it took longer than I would have hoped to come to terms with. Um, so that's probably embarrassing. It probably brings a lot of businesses down. Um, so that would be one lesson that I would do different because I think these days we have the deal is if we're going to do a job for you, we'll do a great job. Your deal is to pay us and pay us yeah. on time terms we agree to and start out with that if it's seven days it's seven days if it's 14 it's 14 if it's 28 so whatever the agreement is get that in place and make sure it happens from first payment and follow that through and generally um you're in pretty good shape how was that max it'll do i'm going to keep prodding at it because i think there's more to it so when you're when you're running a small business Cash flow is a big deal, and that's essentially what you're talking about. I mean, did you ever did this did this issue crop up? You know, where where at some point you had to pay for school fees, and you thought, "Hang on a minute, I've just I've just let someone, you know, I've I've left I've I haven't chased these people up for money, and actually I don't have the money to pay for this right now because I've let that slip." Is that is that? Like, yeah. how did, what is it that what is it that sort of what what is it that made you realize that 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 was a problem. If you get into that habit, and we all do it starting a business, is um, we certainly personally, um, you know, the food probably diminished on the table more than any, if we would rather pay our subbies um, and, and hold face than pay ourselves and not pay them. But um, they certainly make some challenges and then you start chasing money. And if you get into that cycle where you're sort of following and chasing money, it becomes difficult when you're working out on site at the same time. So uh, that's why the finances and building a business and understanding where it sits and how it operates and what how you're going to do that and sort of not in offend or insult anybody and, and get another job off them, then once you figure that out, life gets easier. So, Robert, can you tell me what the very first job you ever had was as part of Daily Insure and how did that come about? I guess in the early days, the jobs were quite small. Um, so, as I said before, organically growing. But I guess our first sort of decent job, a house, um, those you're sort of pretty nervous and ambitious and excited all at the same time. But you sort of, these days, you take it for granted. But if you think back to when you started, it's a big deal. Um, it's a really big deal. So, um, we got that first decent job and... Um, yeah, we had a relationship with that client for many years to come and that put us in good stead. So you build your confidence as you do each job and then as you build your team. And I think that that's a really interesting point. So how did you, who, who was this client and how did they find you guys? 
I think like most small businesses, those first few clients that uh, are people you know, because you certainly we didn't have a marketing plan. So um, you tend to, uh, you know, work and do a job for someone you know, which in technically puts even more pressure on you because you certainly don't want to let anyone you know down and um, they know a lot of people you know. So I guess hence you make sure it works. So what do you think are some of the most important things a builder or a trade needs to think about when running their business? Um, again, in those early days, there's so many things you've got to do because generally you're doing, as the owner of the business, you're doing, if not all of them, certainly most of them, and the small businesses might have um, their wife or someone helping out doing books, um, but there's still a fair bit in your head that you've got to get out of your head for anyone else to even do the books. So I think it's that whole learning of um, what happens on site. Generally, most people depends on their entry point into the business, whether they've come from a trade-based background or they've come from an office-based background. So there's two different ways. If you're coming from the bottom up or technically somewhere in the middle or top down, um, you have a different different skill set. So um, I think that's the biggest thing is trying to actually manage what's happening on site and then backing it up where you're going to get paid and all the paperwork and the taxation and then what you can claim and can't claim and how all that works is probably where most of the small businesses um, get some hard lessons. So we've spoken, you've spoken a little bit already about cash flow um, and clearly that, that's a, that was something that's really locked firmly into your mind. If we were to talk through a typical build job, what do you think a builder should be thinking about when it comes to cash flow? Well, I think that's where everyone's ambitious. So how are you going to manage that job, whether it's a $300,000 house or a $500,000 house? It's the same thing depending where you're at with your finances and cash flow. So it's important to understand how that might work. And I guess to make that work is the arrangement with the client. And if they're doing it out of their cash or they're borrowing money, understanding what those terms are in the contract so you mm. can really pencil that in and line up with your progress claims on the job, uh, which will give you a much better chance of managing your cash flow at no matter what level you're at. So can I, can I stop you there? So are, we, are you saying that depending on how the, the, your client has arranged to receive their finance, aligning that, in a similar, I guess, aligning that with how you're choosing to contract and how you want to be paid is really is an important part of that? Yeah, because I think when you're starting out again, you think it's a bit of a voodoo word, uh, asking people how they're going to pay or have they got the money. But really, it's the most important question with respect because you've got, you're giving them a service which they expect and then obviously to make the world go around, you need the money. So... Um, to, to keep things rolling. So I think it's a very important part of the contract and the conversation, and I'm never these days embarrassed to have it with respect, have that conversation around money and how that's going to work because then everyone knows where they're going. Uh, so it's just not about what you're building. It's about how it's going to get paid for. Have you ever been a part of a project where, you, you know, you're three quarters of the way through and you think, uh-oh, I've just dug myself a hole here. I'm... I'm not going to be making money on this one. And matter of fact, I'm going to go backwards. Yep. Um, 
Good question. And if you're in the building industry and you've been in it for a reasonable amount of time, you've dug a couple of those holes. <laughs> but again, that's what I mentioned earlier. If you've got the business, and I don't recommend you use your, your nest eggs to, to go into holes, but you're going to have times over your period and hopefully you have less holes and less of those jobs that go south and more jobs that go north. But it does happen for a whole host of reasons, Matt. So yes, certainly have. Um, but again, you, you sign up for it and you finish the job and you learn from it um, and you move on and hopefully um, you put things in place to try and limit that. But you can't put too many things in place and keep putting the price up because you've got to be innovative, you've got to be efficient, otherwise you don't get a job. And if you don't get a job, you have the same issue. Yeah, that's right. You've got to, you've still got to win the work. You can't, you've still got to you win can't, the work. Yeah, you so, can't um, build a little fortress around yourself and then just sitting there all day. Now, if I was a young builder looking to go out on my own, What's the main piece of advice you'd give me? Uh, the main piece of advice, so if they're coming from being an employee and then they want to go out on their own, depending on what stage they're at in their career, uh, whether they're early on or later on, they'll have different skill sets. So I guess understanding how you're going to set the business up um, and understanding where you hit the market. Um, so there's are so many different ways, Max. We, we went in pretty green and pretty early. So from my point of view, that was a learning curve. But if you had some skill sets and understood business a little bit better and you've been in the industry for, say, 10 or 15 years, it's a different entry point. Um, but certainly in those early days um, for me and us, we didn't concentrate on marketing. We didn't concentrate on cars or flash offices or even letterheads in the early days. It was just about giving a service to the clients and then, trying to understand when it was the right time to get that next step, um, business cards, letterheads. Okay, we need some more respectable cars. Uh, the, the office, to be honest, come last. So uh, that would be my advice. Don't, don't go spending too much money early. Get your clients happy. Get a good clientele base and build it as you go. What was the best bit of advice you ever received to help you with your business? Well, I guess it, it wasn't while I was, it was when I was 17, actually, a guy said to me in Sydney, he said, um, are you teachable? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm teachable. He said, good, I can do something with you. And I never forgot that. So always, no matter where you are in life, always be open to listening to other people and taking on new ways or ways of adapting something you might have done for many years. And if you can do that, I think you give yourself a good chance um, of staying flexible and adding value. Have you ever asked anyone else that same question? Yeah, no, I have asked. And obviously we have these conversations, um, especially uh, as you get older. And uh, I guess one of the things that come up is is being around people like, I guess, your peers. Uh, it's very comforting to know that you've been on a, a good track or you've made the same mistakes as them um, and understanding Again, finances come up occasionally. Some people are embarrassed to talk about it, but the ones that do well are really uh, all over the finances, I find, because there's so many ways you can trip up and the dollar values are so high in the building industry. Uh, you've got to be well-organised in finance. So that's always comes up in the good businesses. Yep. And the other thing, Max, I guess, have you got a business or have you got a job? 
Um, that's to me, as you build your business, going through the pathway, if you want to get to where you've got a business and not a job, because most people get into working for yourself for the wrong reasons. They want to have a lot of time off and they want to make a lot of money. Well, building a business, that doesn't happen. So if you can build a business, um, have a lot of time off and have a lot of money, then I need to know about it because I did it the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's very, very difficult. So, uh, you know, when you get to, I guess, where you have got a business and it's all working and you've employed a lot of people and um, the whole chain works, um, you still got to keep your finger on the pulse, but that's when you know you've got a business. I think, and, and you and I have had this conversation a few times, actually, and, you know, I, you know, burnt in my mind is you talking about the difference between um, working on a business versus working in a business, and so and and it comes through to me that this is a bit, this was a big shift for you. And was there was there thing was there times when you when it just became completely obvious to you that you needed to just stop doing the seven day hardcore on site slog and actually started to manage the beast you had created? Yeah, and that's what I think. Everyone's time in their journey will be different, but it's how do you realise that time? Don't like, How do you not go early and how do you not leave it too late or never? So um, that one, I think, as long as people are aware there's going to be these opportunities and you have some way of checking where you're at, at that point in time, um, Really, we couldn't keep continuing, so otherwise it was, wasn't achievable. It was just something had to break because it's just too much time away from the family, working 60, 70 hours a week was not going to cut it. So then what had to change is we couldn't really start building our office and have us both out on site. So then I made, we made the decision that I would be the one that would go in. And uh, I guess that was the whole new learning curve then of uh, changing things up. Uh, we went both did a course at Curtin University on working on the business, not in the business. So most owner-operators are micromanagers because that's how you get it done. Um, then you had to learn not to be a micromanager. Then you had to learn to give people the opportunity to grow and engage them and give them some space and let them skin their knees every now and then. Very hard for a owner-operator to do that. So that's where you do need that external help. So is that where it, that 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 shift in your thinking did that come from the extra bit of study you did? Yeah, when you're in a, a sort of a course for eighteen months, and they're all like-minded people from different industries, but it was very apparent early on that we all had the same issues in growing pains and growing businesses. It didn't matter what business you're in; that it was all about people. The whole thing was about people and the journey. So that was very reassuring um, to know that. And it takes time to step out of that mode. So it took me many, many years to working in the business, to working on the business, um, and then really understanding what that meant and where the next phase was going. And, and you said that you and your partner made the decision that you'd be the one to go into the office, and but yet you both did the... You both went to the uni to do the course. How did how did your role in the business change after that point? Like, how did you guys go from working together 
you know, and, and I assume that you were at a point where you were actually, you weren't on site, on the same site together. You were probably on different sites running different crews. So how did you, how did you go from shifting that balance to having, you know, a business partner where you both did similar to things to all of a sudden now you're doing something almost completely different? Yeah, at that point in time, we were both doing similar things, but different, as you said, different groups, uh, crews and managing our own jobs. But that, yeah, we were doing all most of the admin at night, four days a week um, from sort of seven till midnight, which, you know, did that for 10 years, which is not sustainable, but it really got us a good start financially. So uh, that was probably the biggest thing. And changing it, it didn't happen overnight. So I was doing... 50-50, so instead of doing 100, when I say 100, still working 10 or 12 hours out on the tools and then doing book work at night, um, but then we changed that where I was doing less out on site and more in the office as we got at staff. But it organically grew, Max, so it was a, a, a progression, not my, uh, you know, obviously carpenter by trade, so it wasn't didn't come natural for me, but I certainly understood people and and always focused on um, managing the money. So that, that certainly helped. So I imagine if you're running two separate crews at least and then you step into a different role, at that point, was there a knock-on effect? Did you have to draw someone else into the position you were doing previously? Yeah, eventually. Um, we had some people pretty well trained up then. Um, so... Yeah, it just as I said, it didn't happen overnight because I was still doing a little bit of that as well. So just keeping it going and then organically, slowly, that transition where we, we took on supervisors and, and more dedicated staff into a role and that's where the whole thing, whereas the biggest advantage you have as an owner-operator uh, in a small business is time. So you, you can trade time and you can trade time for goodwill uh, you can choose not to charge someone and it's not going to send you broke. Uh, but as soon as you have staff, you lose that flexibility. You need to be organised. Um, they need to be empowered because really if you're unproductive in what they're doing, if you have too much of that, there's just not enough money to pay the bills. So you learn that one quickly. So, and, and we might change this up a little bit. If there was a builder out there listening right now who wanted to improve their skills in business, are there any good resources you would direct them to? Yep, there is plenty of good resources. But as we talked about earlier, it comes at different stages in your career and as you build your businesses. But, you know, one I'd highly recommend is master builders um, in your state or territory. Uh, they have a lot of, uh, I guess, product uh, and people that can talk you through or help you uh, internally, if not can point you in the right direction depending on what you need. We Master Builders partners up with a lot of people and this is a major focus for us to make sure that we can help people with those skills, not only in relation to what happens on site, but as far as the, the front end of the business with the building the business, the finance, the accounts, the people, the training and everything like that is an important part. So I'd highly recommend Master Builders, but there's plenty of other you can Google, there's plenty of other, depending on, as I said, where you're at, plenty of support out there. you just got to look for it or ask your peers. Awesome. If you could go back in time, Robert, and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that have been? And personal, you know, I, I kind of want to, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, did your wife throw dinner at you one day and you were like, I've got to sort my shit out, I'm working way too much. Like, like oh, 
we didn't get into that, but that's that's another pressure, mate. When you're working, but you don't know. You got young kids. You're trying to provide. You're trying to do the right thing. Oh, I know, I know. And you work, just work your ass off. But when I was 36, when Dad died, that was the biggest changer in my life. Yep. That was what, why. 60, 70 hours a week, and then I said, right, out of him dying suddenly, I'm going to have a week off with my wife, a week off um, for myself, a week with my mates, and um, a, a week with the family. And I've done that pretty much every day since every year since he died. Yeah, and that probably give me the balance. That's the trigger. That's the triggers I'm looking for because you know I I know I know what my life's been like. I know that the I know that the things that trigger big changes is when all of a sudden you just get this heaped up something happens and you think this just isn't isn't working and, and i know be, you've, yeah whether you're working for yourself or whether you're um working for someone else there's things in life where you go i, I need to change yep absolutely but it's the same thing mate you got to back yourself to make those changes and make it happen yeah right okay look I think I'm going to wrap it up there, Robert. Um, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. It's it's really interesting to get to scratch at your know, background and, and hear the things that you think are important. And I hope um, I hope other people find that as interesting as I do. Thanks, Max. Appreciate it. What a great interview. I really liked how Robert was with cash flow early in the business. We see so many young builders rush out and get that fancy new ute, but the most important thing for any aspiring builder is to do a great job and to build that reputation for doing quality work and to build the reputation of someone whose subbies want to do work for them by being paid on time. Jock, what did you take away from that interview? Yeah, what a great interview of Rob and great to hear his passion about the industry and his involvement in the industry. It's certainly been um, great to have him involved in many of his roles with the master builders. But interesting, um, my um, intro was referenced around cash flow and and Rob's um, focal point was managing cash within a business and and, and ensuring that you're not spending money before it's uh, due to be paid or in the sense it's not you're not spending um, somebody else's money which can get caught very quickly with some builders when they start to increase increase their job flow so certainly um, takeaway cash flow uh, managing cash continually increasing your skill base and your knowledge base was another one that I felt really strong came through in his message I love the fact that that Rob started off as a hands-on carpenter builder, working long hours, getting into the industry through having a keenness to learn and, and, and look at where he is at now, managing and owning several businesses that are all successful and, 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 and really, again, continuing to be passionate about uh, what he does, which I think is a great part in the success of his business. Yeah, I have to say that was one of the key standouts for me. It was where you see someone who is working and delivering and working and delivering and then all of a sudden goes, oh, I'm working and delivering. I've got a business that works. I really need to get my head around how to do this better. It's that self-driven, continuous improvement. And I just I, I, I love hearing about that. I love hearing how someone can 
analyze their, their own space and then make shifts in that space and be doing it better later. Yeah. So that was one of the key for me too, Jock. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, I look at it and I, I suppose if I think about two key takeaways that Rob really sort of suggested and I uh, stuck well with me were the question that his first employer asked him were, are you teachable because you're never too old to learn? And then I also love the reference about we're builders, but we're actually in the people game. And so communication and relationships are the critical part of our success as, as builders. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an ongoing theme. Now, 2020 has been an extraordinary year, and hopefully those builders listening have learned something that can help them going forward. And as Robert mentioned, he has learned so much from his peers at the MBA. So make sure that you get involved with your local MBA so you can get advice from guys like Robert. And as an industry, we can all help each other. So give your local Master Builders a call or visit our website at masterbuilders.com.au. Thanks for co-hosting, Jock. It's been really great talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Max. And great to uh, be involved. And thank you for listening. I'm Max Rafferty. And until next time, stay safe. <laughs>